We've been talking over the last couple of weeks about how God has been shaping us, and we're going to talk about this morning how God has been shaping us by his love to serve him, to love him, to love one another, to love him, and to love this city. And this morning we're going to continue with this series by continuing with this, uh, with this uh, with the Word of God, from, sec, uh, from 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in the third verse. So this is 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in the third verse. We're going to read through the seventh verse. I thank the God, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we pray. Amen. I'll tell you, I love having the children here today, not just receiving their Bibles, but also leading us in worship. Isn't it great to see how the, fan, how the flames of faith are fanned into being by their participation, by, by their service, by their, by their joy in being here in leadership and in worship today. I hope that not only we're seeing how the fans, uh, how the flames uh, of their faith are being fanned, but also how our faith is encouraged by what we see in them. It's great to have them here receiving their Bibles. These children who are right now beginning to be shaped by this wonderful faith family. You know, because two weeks ago we talked about another young person who was shaped by the love of her family and her faith family. And today we're going to be talking about another. So we can't take for granted what we are seeing here today. That the leaders of the church tomorrow are being nurtured. They're being fanned. That flame is being, uh, is being encouraged today here in your midst, in our Sunday school classes, in our children's ministries, and especially in your homes and in the relationships that you share with these children. So two weeks ago... We talked about another young person, a young woman named Esther. In or around 480 B.C., 2,600 years ago, God's people were facing extermination. There was a community of Jews who had lived, even prospered, in the heart of the mighty Persian Empire for some time. But their success made some of the people, many of the Persian people, jealous and resentful. And a plot was conceived by members of the king's own administration to strip them of their freedom, to strip them of their wealth, to strip them of their property and their lives. But God had a plan. The Persian emperor 
had married a young Jewish girl named Esther and made her his queen. And she was the only one who could get to the king and tell him that he was being manipulated by his own politicians. But this was a dangerous gamble. She would be risking everything. She could have lost her life for revealing this conspiracy. But then Esther's uncle Mordecai, a courageous and godly man, went to Esther and said, If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's house, your family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Most people thought that Esther was just another pretty face. But Mordecai knew the truth. He knew that this young woman was made for this moment. That God had raised her up and put her in this position, had made her queen for this moment to save her people. We're in a moment ourselves, aren't we? In 2020. The year 2020 has become synonymous with the word crazy because it's a crazy year. It's a pandemic year, it's a recession year, and it's getting worse because it's an election year. And 2020 has gotten so 2020 that my beautiful wife Morgan has decided that she doesn't want to celebrate her 50th birthday birthday this year. She said, nope, this year doesn't count. This year, I'm 49 plus one. Oh, I'm sorry, I was supposed to say 30, uh, 39 plus one. Um, but anyway, whatever it is, it doesn't seem to count. It's too crazy this year to matter. And yet, this is our moment. Our people are in crisis, and our country, and our families, and our communities, and the world, they are in crisis. But you know what? God has made us for this moment, not only us individually, but us as a church. God has made us for this moment. You are designed for a destiny. And everything that took us by surprise this year, it wasn't a surprise to God. And before we even knew what was happening or going to happen, God was putting together his church. He was preparing his people to declare his glory and to speak his truth and to share his compassion with people and neighborhoods and families and schools that desperately need to hear it. Because we were made for such a time as this. Now, two weeks ago, we... We're talking about how God made us for this moment by his grace, by his grace, out of his unfailing love, his undeserved mercy, his unstoppable power, and his providential initiative. God has made and designed you, and he's designed me for his glory and for his mission. Remember what Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has prepared us, he has made us for this moment by his grace, by his divine design. And then last week, Mitchell talked about how God made us for this moment by his gift of faith. God has given us faith, that is, he has given us supernatural courage to trust him and to trust his plan for us 
even in those Red Sea moments when trusting God seems hard or crazy or impossible. And today, we're going to talk about how God makes us for this moment by his love. And I want you to hear this. He has made you by his love. He has made you to receive his love. That is to be the object of his love. And he has made you to share his love. Love is a force woven into the fundamental fabric of our world. It's like a scent or a trace of perfume that's left on your clothes after you give someone a big hug. The concept and value of love is an undeniable common grace that reflects the love of the creator. Love is that fingerprint that God left in the clay as he made the world by his own hands. And so even if people don't know what love necessarily is or where it came from, even people who have no knowledge of religion or no, or no affection for God know either love or they recognize a lack of it. They know what it means either to be loved or to be unloved. And love has a tremendous power to make us, while a lack of love has a devastating power to break us. Dr. Ian Robertson has written this, that two fundamental things, love and attention, shape our lives more than anything else. Without con the consistent love of at least one person, listen to this, without the consistent love of at least one person, children's brains do not develop properly and their lives are often blighted. Being attended to, that is, feeling held in, one, in another's mind, is part of being loved and is also crucial for the brain's development. Did you hear what Dr. Robertson is saying? That critical to our development is love and attention. Two of the most significant things then that you can communicate to another person, particularly a child, are these. That I see you and I care. I notice you. I know you're there. And I care about you. How often has God made a difference in your life through people who said, I see you and I care. God shapes us by his love through the hands and hearts of his people. People are God's providers of love. Now love is one of those words that is better understood by demonstration than definition. This week, our scripture lesson touches on the life of another young hero of God's saving plan. The young man's name was Timothy. And Timothy was a student of the Apostle Paul who became his protege. He was one of that next generation of believers to whom Paul was planning to hand the baton, to take over when he was gone, to lead God's people through times of tribulation and distress to come. And the passage that we've read today shows us how God uses people to make us for the moments for which he has designed us. 
So listen to how God used people to shape Timothy by his love. First, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. I think it's so humble that Paul here starts off, the apostle of Jesus Christ begins by honoring the foundations of his ancestors and the people who came before him in faith. He is saying, this is who shaped me. And I think it's important that we give credit to that, that we give credit to the idea that, that we did not spring forth from nothing, that all the love, all the experience, all the knowledge we have came from those who have come before us. Second, Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. He's speaking to Timothy here. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that, that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Eunice and Lois. Who here has a Eunice and a Lois in your life? A mother, a grandmother. Doesn't have to be a mother or a grandmother. It could be a father, grandfather. Maybe an older brother or sister. Really, I'm the only one who has a Eunice or a Lois? There you go, okay. All of us have these people, people in our family. Maybe they were people without official position, but they were ordained by the Holy Spirit to train us up in the way that we should go. You know, I learned more about faith from my family than I ever did from my seminary classes. It was both the active teaching and the observed demonstration of that faith that shaped me. My family not only taught me the truth about God, they showed me the love and character of God. To me, Eunice and Lois represent the importance of the home, of the family, in shaping faith and character. But then there's also the teacher, the discipler, the coach and the mentor beyond the family. And in Timothy's case, this is Paul. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, you, we have to understand here that the laying on of hands is a symbolic gesture that signifies the, a transfer of faith, a transfer of authority and power and duty. When we ordain our new elders and deacons and our pastors, we lay hands upon them to, confer, to, to show that we are conferring that which was conferred on the church to them to fulfill a special role in their lives. But we have to remember that it's more than just a ritual act. Paul says, I pray for you. I cry with you. I spend time with you. I invest in your time and life. I teach you. And I love this. He doesn't do it from a distance. He's saying, I've done all these things and I've done it close enough to you to reach you with my hands. Close enough for you to feel and know my personal involvement, my personal investment in your life. And the apostle is saying that just as God has shaped Paul, has shaped me by his hands and the hands of his people before me, so the Lord is shaping you, Timothy, by my hands. And that is so important. And so Timothy was shaped by the love of his family. He was shaped by the love of his mentor. And he was shaped by the love of all the people who shaped them. The shaping 
power of love is also essential to the story of Esther. If you read a little bit earlier in the book of Esther, you'll see that Esther was an orphan who lost her parents when she was a teenager. And Esther's story begins that, that there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. And Mordecai took her as his own daughter. At the most vulnerable time in her life, when she lost her mother and she lost her father, Mordecai, a second degree away relative, said to her, I see you and I care. He didn't have to take care of her. I'm sure there were some social conventions and obligations, but he probably could have gotten around that. He could have sidestepped that. He could have found somebody else to take over. But no, he said to her, you matter. I see you and I care. And God's love shaped Esther through Mordecai's care and teaching. But as we've seen in the case of Esther, Mordecai did not just nurture Esther. He activated her. Remember Mordecai's famous words. He said, and who knows whether you have come, whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. At the moment of her people's greatest need, Mordecai challenged Esther to trust God's design and destiny for her life. The people who love you don't just nurture you, they activate you. They, they turn you on, they set you up, and they move you toward that moment that God has been making you for. They catalyze the challenge in your life. Look how many times Paul talks about remembering in, this, in his passage. Remember, remember, remind, remind. But Paul wasn't just reminiscing with Timothy. He wasn't saying, just remember your ancestors, remember your grandmother, remember your mother, remember me. He was activating Timothy. The climax, I believe, of 2 Timothy is, is verses 1 and 2 of, of the fourth chapter, in which Paul says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and understanding. He is saying, yes, remember the love and faithfulness of your people. Remember the love and faithfulness of your family. Remember the love and faithfulness of your teachers. Then get out there and proclaim the love of God in Jesus Christ. Preach the word. Paul is fanning the flames of Timothy's faith and saying, get out there and do what God made you to do. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Don't hold back. Get out there and do what God has made you to do. And I believe that Timothy trusted Paul just as Esther trusted Mordecai because he knew that Paul loved him. He knew that, that Paul really cared about him. And I believe that that's what God wants for us, to remember that we are loved and to be encouraged by that love so that we will have the confidence to get out there and do the things that God made us to do. 
God shapes us by his love and he activates us through his people. Again, love is one of those words that is better understood by demonstration than definition. And the best demonstration of love is the example of Jesus Christ himself. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Philippians, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be exploited, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Paul is saying, I'm not going to be able to define love adequately, but I can show you what it looks like, and it looks like that man who gave his life for you, who came down from heaven, gave up everything for you. I can't explain what love is. But if you want to know what love looks like, look to Jesus. That's even how Jesus explained it. Jesus said, do you want to know how to love one another? Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. That's how you're to love one another. How do you love your family? Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, he says, husbands, love your, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There is no better definition of love than the demonstration of Jesus Christ. Look to him and you will understand love. The good news that Jesus Christ came to show us and tell us is that God sees you and God cares about you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever lives and believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, there's so many people who think that God is mad at them. And the truth is, he's really madly in love with them. 1 Corinthians 13 is a description of God's love for us. His love is patient and kind. His love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. His love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. God's love for us is indestructible and impervious. It is immune from the liabilities and limitations that mess up human love, jealousy, anger, fear, betrayal, impatience, self-absorption, rivalry, and lust. All those things that would undo love cannot undo God's love. Romans 8 says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
And the proof of God's love, the proof that his love is invulnerable to our sin is this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so, beloved, take heart, take confidence that God has been making you for this moment, shaping you through his people by his love. By his love, the psalmist says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. By his love, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So let me ask you this. Who are the people who have told you and showed you that God sees you and he cares? Who are the people who have told you, I love you, or I see you, and I care? For that matter, who are you telling God sees you and he cares? I see you and I care. I hope it's not just the children who are up here this morning, although we do love you and we do believe that God sees you and God cares, but I hope it's also his other children, the homeless, the lonely, those who are shut in, those who are grieving, families who've lost a father, families who've lost a teenage son. Do they know from us that God sees them? and that God cares, that we see them, and that God cares. The children that we have been with this morning are being shaped by this 2020 moment. The question is, how are they being shaped? Not only for this moment, but for the moments to come. Are they being shaped by God's love coming through his people, or are they being shaped by fear, anger, lust, selfishness, and neglect of the moment? Are they being shaped by the noise of this crisis and the critics? Or are they being shaped by the voices of people who are telling them all the time, God sees you and he cares. I see you and I care. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, your gospel tells us that you see us, you know us, you know everything about us, and you care. And the proof of your amazing love is this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not waiting till we got our act together, not waiting till we were perfect or perfected, but while we were yet sinners, you loved us. Lord, we just pray that every person in this room, no matter what age they may be, that they would have a Eunice and Lois in their lives, that they would have a Mordecai in their lives, that they would have people who care enough about them to say, we see you and we care. God sees you and he cares. We pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.